Welcome to this Bay Health Festivals podcast. Hey everyone, my name is Ian Dewar. I'm lead chaplain at the Morecambe Bay Trust and lead coordinator of Bay Health Festivals. We've been running these festivals for five, six years now. Started off very small in Lancaster, we're growing bay-wide. The whole aim of them is to engage the people in proper debates about population health. The big challenge for our culture is not whether it's money for this or money for that, it's how we look after ourselves and realising we've got the ability to do it. But essential to that is education and knowledge. And over the years, we've discussed people in mental health, we've discussed race and healthcare, and this year we're dealing with anatomy, and we have Professor Adam Taylor with us to deal with that in a moment. The whole thrust of Bay Health Festivals is it's local people committed to the local area. The three people putting this together, our filmmaker Janine, uh, Adam, our professor, and myself, are all from Lancaster. All went to school in Lancaster, we're committed to the area, and we want these debates to go on and to encourage people to think about health and well-being. We're here before an invited audience of students from Our Lady's Catholic College and from Lancaster Royal Grammar School. Next year is the 200th anniversary of the foundation of the Lancaster Medical Book Club. Now that sounds really odd. But 200 years ago, to find out our medical uh, information, you'd write off to London, get a book sent up, may take a few weeks, you'd read it, your colleagues would read it, you'd then discuss it, you'd then say, what do I do with this patient? It's quite possible to argue that the foundation of that book club, of which we have an original copy of the book, first book they bought in its foundation, is the birth of modern medicine, as far as Lancaster is concerned, and this city and its work here. outside the education department at the Royal Lancaster Infirmary. I've got with me now a group of students who come today for, well, what have you come for today, sir? Uh, I've come to watch a live anatomy done here. A live anatomy? So you all come to see that. Um, what do you think about when you offer the chance to come and see some live anatomy? Very exciting. Why is that? Most people would go, ugh. Why is it exciting? <laughs> because it's not really something you see often, is it? And, and what are you studying for your A-levels? Biology, chemistry and physics. Okay. And what about you, sir? How are you feeling about going into this? Very excited. And what, what's exciting? To find out more about organs and how they work. Okay. And what do you want to be when you go on from here? Are you going to go into the physical sciences? Maybe. Possibly. Because you're just learning more about how the body works and the functions of the heart and the okay. organs, yeah. Okay. Uh, is there anything in particular about the organ donation ethics that's interesting to you? Why people might want to donate their organs or why they might not. Okay. So what do, how do you think today might help you? To learn more about organs. I've got one with their teacher now. Yeah, I have to say that when you were offered this, uh, it was the quickest reply we've ever had. It was like three minutes later, we'll take it. Why were you so excited to reply so quickly? Well, I thought it was fantastic. I was sat with my class in front of me. I'd never had an offer for them to come and see live dissection before. Initially, I started training to be a vet, so I'd done loads of stuff myself. So I just thought that was a brilliant opportunity for them. Um, get them out of school, which hasn't happened very much at the moment. Get them more interested in medical sciences or philosophy. And in a personal way, as well um, went through organ donation recently when my husband died so I thought it was lovely to be able to bring them for that just to echo delighted to be here thank you for the invite uh, and it's great to have a, a live audience uh, and be able to take them a, around the tour of, of, of what is a, an ox heart to start with okay so any aspiring medics show of hands but yeah probably about half I would say people interested in biomedicine and, and those subjects Any? And what about philosophy and other things? No, okay, yeah, okay. So we're gonna start, this is, a, this is an animal heart, this is an ox heart, okay? So it's about half the size of a human head. 
And the first thing to talk about is the shape and the appearance from the outside. So I'm afraid when we get it, the butchers already do their piece to check that there's nothing that they need to report. So you can see from the outside, there's a glistening, shiny appearance, and that's perfectly normal, okay? This is the same appearance as any other muscle in the body, but this is a special type of muscle, and we'll come on and talk about that. What about this stuff here? Does anybody want to have a guess what this is on the outside? This kind of, it's hard to feel. Yeah, go on. It's fat. And do you think that's normal or abnormal? It's pretty normal. It's pretty normal. So to have fat around the heart is not uncommon, okay? Everything, like everything else in the body, moderation. So we need fat around the heart. It insulates the heart, it protects the heart, and we've got a number of things on the external surface that it's there to help protect. So I'm rolling it over to the what, what we would call the back of the heart here. And can you see this? It almost looks like a river running down the, the surface. Can you see it on this side here? So this is one of our what we call our coronary vessels. This is coronary artery. All arteries supply blood to something and the heart's no different. It's probably the hardest working muscle in the body and it needs a supply of, of blood. And this is a coronary artery running down the posterior wall of the heart. We've also got one running down the anterior wall of that. And <clears throat> as the heart beats and contracts, that um, fat insulates those vessels against being squished too much from the outside. At the top here, sorry, I'm just going to take this out. So this is a blood clot, it's, uh, there's a number of them in there. Uh, that's a blood clot. So if we position it from the top here, hang on. Should have brought my goggles. There we go, another blood clot. If we position it from the top here, we've got a number of openings that you can see. And I'll talk you through more of these shortly, but that's just to give you a, a, <coughs> a an appreciation of, of the outside. So if we begin our journey into the heart internally. I'm gonna open it up using the slice that's already been made, okay? There we go. The slice that's already been made. So if we look inside, we've got perfectly normal heart muscle. So the heart muscle itself is known as myocardium, okay? This is the myocardium, this is, this is the heart muscle. Very red because it's got a rich blood supply and lots of muscular fibres in the same way that any other muscle uh, in the body does. Myocardium is special because it's a type of muscle that can contract on its own. So when you raise your hand, when you stand up, when you walk around, you're controlling that musculature. This myocardium has its own pacemaker. It has its own electrical circuit that causes it to contract and that is what our heartbeat is. Okay. So as we go inside, we're going to look at the four chambers. The heart has four chambers, there's two atrium and two ventricles. The atria are at the top and they're rather small up here. We can't, we're not inside, I'm going to open them up here in, in just a second. But they're at the top here. The two chambers that we're looking at at the bottom, in the bottom at the moment, are the ventricles. Okay? What do you notice about the ventricles? So the one I've currently got my thumbs in at the moment, this chamber here, when we stitch it back together, that's the right ventricle. And then this larger one that I'm running my thumbs through now when we stitch it back together is the left ventricle. Does anybody notice the difference between the left and the right? Left ventricle has more, more muscular, I guess. It's more muscular, but what about the space as well? I'm not really sure. Not sure? Okay. So I can, if I close this up, I can get maybe three or four fingers into the right ventricle. If I close it up again, I can get at least most of my hand in there. The left ventricle is much larger in terms of volume compared to the right ventricle. 
And you're right about the, what do you say, the musculature? Yeah, absolutely right. So the left ventricle has a thicker wall. So at the bottom here, this is the thickness of the left ventricle wall. And this is the thickness of the right ventricle wall. So I would say in this here, so right ventricle thickness here, left ventricle thickness here, right here, left here. I would say the left is probably about three times the thickness of the right. Why? Why does the left ventricle have a much thicker muscular wall than that of the right? It bumps blood around the whole body, um, whereas the other one goes up the lungs. Okay, so why, why does it need to be, why, why does it need to be thicker? It provides it, uh, it goes at high pressure. Why, why higher pressure? Why is it against a higher pressure? You're absolutely right. But these, these are the questions that everybody, everybody's going to want to know. So why is it against higher pressure? Yeah, further up and down the body, of course, so it's sort of, it needs a higher pressure to work against gravity. Uh, possibly gravity, but the other thing is, as, as you said, the right-hand side is just going to the lungs. The lungs are relatively, they're like a sponge, basically. We're just pushing blood liquid into a sponge. The, right, the left-hand side, sorry, has to pump against everything in the body, all of the muscles, all of the capillary beds in those muscles. It has to pump into bone, the liver, the, uh, the heart itself. And so it requires a much bigger muscle, just in the same way as the bigger muscles in your arms and legs are, the more weight that they're able to move. So that's the right, and this is the left. So let's start with, let's start our journey in the right atrium, okay? So I've currently got my index and middle finger sat in the right atrium, okay? So as blood comes back from around the body, it's received into the right atrium. The atria are receiving chambers in the body. We have blood coming back through two holes, two vessels, uh, into two holes into the right atrium. And I've basically got my fingers running through those two holes. One corresponds to what we call the inferior vena cava, which brings blood back from basically below the heart. And the other is the superior vena cava, which brings blood back from above the heart. And everything empties into this chamber, which is the right atrium. So what I'm gonna do now is just open that up so you can have a look inside, okay? So we're now looking inside the right atrium. If people can't see and they wanna get up and come have a closer look, they're welcome to do so. Yeah. There are some very subtle differences but for the event, for the um, for the uh, intents and purposes of this, they're identical. They've both got four chambers. The uh, distribution and thickness of the myocardium is exactly the same. They've got coronary vasculature. The arteries and veins that drip, supplying and draining the heart are, are exactly the same. But yeah, as far as we're concerned at the moment, only size is is the big difference. So if we go back to the right atrium into here, I can put my fingers into that atrial space now, and. <clears throat> It passes down through an atrioventricular valve into the right ventricle. Okay, so my index finger is now poking out through that valve into the right ventricle. In the right atrium, the atria are very small. But can you see these kind of strands of string? Can you, can you make those out? Can you see at the back there? Yeah, these kind of stringy strands that I can't quite get my finger under. Yeah? So this is a special type of muscle in the right atrium, and what that helps to do is to pump the blood into the right ventricle. So it goes through the valve into the right ventricle, and we can see there are bridges of muscle, these are called trabecular carnae, muscular bridges, that jump across inside the ventricle from one side of the wall to the other. 
and they help when the heart contracts they maximize the pressure that the heart generates to pump blood out and through out into the pulmonary artery okay so from the right ventricle if we were to close it back up it goes from the right ventricle up into this vessel here so this is the vessel that's taking blood away from the heart to the lungs so it goes up from this side and comes out here to the lungs on either side and that's the pulmonary artery and it's quite stretchy you can see it's got a little bit of elasticity in it from there blood goes to the lungs carbon dioxide is is exchanged for oxygen and it then comes back into the left atrium it comes through the pulmonary vein into the left atrium so here we go let's turn this over so these two fingers are coming back through the pulmonary vein into the left atrium here yeah and we're going to do the same thing we're going to open that up and take a look inside any questions while i'm doing this no okay if we can see the thickness of it look at it in a little bit of detail so I might flip over for the slightly thicker one I think just bear with me one second instances where liquids do get into the lungs are there any surgeries or treatments that can happen to reverse the effects so where we do get liquids into the lungs I, we have, the body has various mechanisms to prevent liquids getting into the lungs and that is, as we all know, when we go swimming or we drink and it goes down, we go, it goes down our trachea rather than our esophagus, we have a reflex that coughs it, that removes it. To a point in the lungs, so we all know that when we get colds and, and, and uh, other kinds of viruses and bacteria in our respiratory system, we, we have a cough. That's one of the mechanisms to prevent things getting down into down into the lungs. Um, but there's a specialised lining down our trachea and into the upper parts of the bronchial system that exists. And there's a special type of cell lining those um, those airways. And they've got little hairs on them. And we've got special cells that produce mucus. So when you've got a cough or a cold and you co you're coughing up sputum, which is always a horrible colour, that's a protective mechanism. So everything that we've got is a means to prevent things getting into our respiratory system. That being said, there are instances where, particularly with things like pneumonia, where we're particularly unwell, where we get pus and all sorts of other things collecting deep down in the lungs. Typically, if the immune system is able to function properly, they can be cleared by the immune system separately. Um, it's incredibly difficult when you get down, going in to clear them through the, the respiratory system. You get to a point where you wouldn't be able to get an instrument or anything that far down into the, into the, you know, into the depths of the lung tissue itself. So we typically rely on the body's cellular mechanisms to try and clear out, but often it requires medical uh, uh, intervention in terms of things like antibiotics, etc., to help help clear clear that and i hope that answers answers your question yes uh you know how they say you shouldn't drink before surgery they tell you is that to do with the liquids getting into the lungs uh, that's a really good question. So, uh, disclaimer, I'm not a surgeon, this is not my area of expertise, but typically they tell you not to consume anything because 
people react uh, to the anaesthetic that they give you, particularly going under a general. Uh, they have to uh, put you on a, uh, they have to help control your breathing. What they don't want is a full stomach, is people to, for that to, when you lay down and when they're, when they're working, for that to empty back into your throat and then wash down into your lungs, for example. Also, when you come out the other side of surgery, people typically don't feel great. And if you've got if you feel sick and you've got some, what you don't want is, is to be to be being sick, particularly if you've got surgical wounds and you've had significant surgery, you don't want to be feeling unwell and, and potentially damage those as well. So there's a variety of factors, but as I say, you know, I'm, that's not my my area of expertise. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's take a look then. So I, I won't focus too much on the heart. We can have a look at that later if anybody's interested. We've got the, the, the attachment of all the great vessels. It's much smaller than the one we were looking at earlier. But if we follow, what I'm going to do is uh, follow the trachea down and we'll look at the point where it bifurcates. So I'm just going to make a couple of incisions as I go down just to open this up slightly more. So as you know, we've got a single trachea or single windpipe that descends down and then at a point it splits into two. Okay. So we've just taken a quick, a quick break. So all I've done is, is cleaned out so we can see all of the trachea. And you can see there are kind of ridges as I run my finger down the trachea and they carry on all the way down to this point here. And at this point here, it splits. The trachea splits into a left main bronchus and a right main bronchus to uh, go into each of the lungs. These tracheal rings are incredibly important and you can actually feel your own at the bottom of your windpipe uh, where your thyroid is as you go just down from it you can kind of feel one or two bulges don't press particularly hard uh, but you can just feel the little ridges as you run down and they're really important they're bars of cartilage that hold our trachea open they make sure our airway stays open so that we can get oxygen in and, and carbon dioxide out now as we go down we see that that splits and we've had a, a really interesting question from the floor and that is related to why premature babies can't breathe on their own or struggle to breathe and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is when we breathe, we rely on the musculature of the, of the thoracic wall, the muscles between the ribs and, and the diaphragm. Uh, and also at a very young age, uh, babies actually use their, their abdominal muscles. So those muscles that form the, the so-called six-pack muscles, they typically use their abdomen to breathe uh, rather than their thorax. And so part of it is to do with the development of those muscles. But the other thing is that up until about week 26, 28, their respiratory system hasn't fully developed enough. So it's usually about 38, week 40 when they're born. So it takes in the final 10 weeks, in the last 10 weeks of their development in pregnancy, is the point where they're actually able to fully function. And the other thing is we have a special type of cell in our lung that produces something called surfactant, which is important in, in, in really deep down in the lungs, holding the air ways open, the tiny microscopic alveoli open. Uh, and that surfactant creates surface tension. That's really important in holding it open. And before that, um, before about 28 weeks, the cells that make that aren't yet fully functional again. So there's a combination of factors, which is why when premature babies are born, particularly before 28 weeks, they often require quite, uh, quite close monitoring and, and careful uh, intervention in, in helping them breathe. Okay, so we looked at the tracheal rings as we go down, and we know that um, our respiratory system is, is how COVID is, is, is take, typically taken into the body. It gets deep down into the lungs, for example, and those 
uh, interfaces between the airways and the capillaries are very thin, as we said before. Typically, when we get right down to the alveolar, it's only a single cell thickness between the airways and the uh, and the capillaries. And on the surface of those airways is where the COVID virus binds. And it is basically a lock and key theory. The, COVID, the, the virus gets hold of, of, of the receptor and uses it to get into the bloodstream. And it is there that everything begins to, to happen. And one of the key things about COVID is that shortness of breath. And we get the response in deep down in the lungs, whereby we begin to get our immune cells uh, creating an inflammatory response. And that can make, make things worse uh, in terms of filling some of those air spaces. But we can also end up with, with things like pneumonia, where we get the lung tissue being filled with, uh, with pus uh, and, and kind of creating that shortness of breath. So what I'm doing now is just cutting into the lung tissue and we can have a look at, at the inner substance of that. So you can see that it's a mixture of kind of pink and blacks. And the pinks and blacks, the pinky orange colour is the respiratory tissue and then the reds, uh, reddy black colour is, is the blood vessels that exist within the, within the lung tissue. So this is, this is what a, a, a relatively healthy lung looks like. And you can see if I squeeze that, there's still blood in there and it comes out through those vessels. Okay, so we've got the respiratory tissue in here. And it's the same on the other side. And where we get pathologies in the lungs, where we get problems, pneumonia, COVID, etc., the lower down it is, the harder it often is to clear because gravity takes an effect, for example. And again, you can see there's nothing coming out. These are healthy lungs. How do I know these are healthy? Because when I squeeze it, there's nothing coming out other than blood out of the vasculature. If these run healthy and I squeezed it, we'd get kind of pus and liquidy stuff coming out of the, the tissue. And that's, that's not the case in here. Okay. So how do you look after your lungs then, Adam? Questions <laughs> <laughs> uh, asked before about... about um, uh, you know, looking after your heart and yeah. exercise and balance. I mean, how, how do you look at, so, you know, this lot may face great temptations to smoke or to do yeah. whatever. It's, yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, it's, tell us how you look after your lungs. Uh, again, it's, you know, it's, it's about everything in moderation, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we, 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 there's a, a strong anti-smoking message, uh, uh, you know, and there's no doubt that the evidence is that smoking damages the lungs, but exposure to fresh air you know that's the best thing getting good clean fresh air in there we talk about going out for a walk you know yeah. doing 30 minutes brisk walking every day uh, that doesn't just give you overall health but it you know lung health right. uh, you know and uh, exp uh, minimizing exposure to you know yeah. dusty environments and those kinds right. of things. where you're getting excessive amounts of particulate matter going in you know right. that that kind of you know being sensible wearing dust yeah. masks when we're doing diy yeah, work right. and okay. That, okay. That, that kind of thing Fantastic. you know all, all the stuff that goes with general kind of health right. thank you and you are an embodiment of what we try to do at the health festival which is just engage people in conversation in thinking in asking in finding out because one of the things i find most unnerving about our culture as a whole is we seem to have lost the ability to realise that the best person to look after yourself is you. You can go for a walk, you can, you know, try and have a good diet, you can spend time with people, you have more power than you think to have a good, healthy life. And part of what we discussed here with Adam today is getting us to think about that at a slightly, slightly deeper level. So Adam, thank you very much indeed on behalf of myself and Bayer Health Festivals. And thank you on behalf of the audience. And well, let's say thank you. There we go. <laughs>
Uh, I think it was uh, great. We got to see the heart and the lungs um, in a bit more depth than we usually do with the uh, school practical. Um, particularly, um, what I learned about the lining. Um, so we've not we've not really seen that lining before, um, and of the tissue. I think that was really interesting. Are you excited by what you've seen or shocked? Well, it was quite insightful. A lot of things I didn't know uh, from the previous research, so it was quite insightful. Um, as an aspiring surgeon, it was quite, um, yeah, it was quite exciting for me to know that and really reinforced my desire to probably pursue surgery. It's really interesting. Uh, one thing I have noticed is that when you arrived, you lot wouldn't say boo to a goose, but now you're talking. Why is that? I think we've just built the confidence after listening to everyone speak and ask questions. Right. Because you had some good questions yourself, didn't you? Yeah. yeah okay. Do you have any more questions you'd like to ask? Um, I was wondering about the, uh, regarding the effects of the pandemic. Um, what effects would that have on the heart? Those, we were talking about the pulmonary effects, but we didn't really go into depth on anything to do with the heart, like sitting in the house for a long time or something like that. OK, so we, you, you can perhaps put that to Adam uh, when you've got a minute now. That's great, thank you. Any other comment you want to make, gentlemen, about that? More particularly just how engaging the entire session was. Got everyone engaged, able to talk. You can ask your questions more in depth and you get a very qualified answer, so very useful. So I'm now with the pupils from Our Lady's Catholic College who've just come out of the anatomy. How did you find that, everybody? It was good. Very good. You're more talkative than when I first met you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to take from it, then? What was most important about it for you? Just the general function of our organs, to be fair. You're fascinated to know about yourself, were you? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so if you're going home tonight and you're going to talk to me about it, what's the first thing you tell them about it? Stop smoking. All right, that's a good lesson. You got that from the lungs. Any difference on stop smoking? When you go back to school and you're sat down thinking about your futures, will anything that you've learnt today make a difference to your future? Because I'm, I'm thinking to do medicine, so of course there will be some placements in the surgical area, so it'll be better for the personal statement. And do you feel more inspired to be a surgeon after seeing the anatomy? Be not a surgeon, but I can see the skills that are required to um, go and then do perform surgeries, like uh, do practice and everything on different animals like different organs and would you recommend this anatomy for anybody else to come to yes, yes definitely yeah. and let's come to you last Mrs Bates are you a happy teacher I certainly am yeah. it's been a great experience for them thank you okay and would you come back next year if we did a similar thing I hope so yeah I'd love to thanks for listening to this Bay Health Festivals podcast for more information check out our website thebayhealthfestivals.org.uk